Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. I want to give a special welcome to all of the kids that are joining us over the summertime up here. And we wanted to let you know that we have uh, amazing praise packs, party packs at the back for the kids. Uh, so if you want, you can go find them at the back, something to, to hang out with, to entertain. And there might be a surprise in each one. You just have to find out. Now, we grow in the direction of the questions that we ask. Throughout my journey of following Jesus, I've come to different points in my life where I've been asking questions about Jesus. And there's a, a specific point in my life where I asked a lot of questions. This wasn't out of curiosity, but rather out of necessity. I may have mentioned before, but I grew up playing hockey a lot. And during this time of playing hockey, I had one of my best friends who was on my team. And we would carpool to games, to practices, spending hours in a vehicle together, talking about what most hockey players talk about. But then also there was conversations that went a little bit deeper, conversations about life and faith. But at that point, I did not have a very solid faith. It was not very active or evident in my life. But it was through this point of questions that he kept asking me, you know, what, what about this? Why do you believe this? And a lot of times I would have no answer for him and say, I'll have to get back to you on that. And it was through this process of him asking questions and me asking my own questions and pursuing and trying to find out the truth that my faith became ignited. It was through this you know, same process that his faith started on a journey. I remember late at night getting a text from him and he said, hey, I'm thinking about reading my Bible, where do I start? And so, me at the time, I Googled it. <laughs> Where to start when reading the Bible? It said John. So I texted him, started John. He's like, which one? <laughs> I was like, I don't know, the first one? <laughs> but it was through this process that he actually, I remember after a practice one day, we go to McDonald's and sharing a Big Mac together, that he actually became a follower of Jesus and gave his life to Jesus. But it was through these questions that my faith became ignited and his faith began to take life. And for all of us as followers of Jesus, we reach different points in our faith journey where we ask questions. This could be questions about, you know, the truth of Jesus. Is he who he really is? Or it could be questions along our journey. God, why didn't you answer that prayer? Why am I still walking through this challenge? Or it could be questions about how do I follow Jesus in a real difficult political, social, cultural situation. But we move in the direction of the questions that we ask. Throughout uh, the series that we've been going through in the book of John, we see that Jesus has been followed by a crowd. And this crowd is asking a lot of questions of Jesus that this week we're going to open up to John chapter 6, looking at one of the I am statements of Jesus, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
And so the crowd came to Jesus with their questions, but they struggled with Jesus' answer. Jesus responded not to the, the way that they hoped, but he responded in the way that they needed. He did not just look at their immediate need, but he actually points deeper to the need of their heart. And so this morning, we're going to read through uh, John chapter 6. We're going to go through uh, verses 24 all the way to 60. We're going to jump around a little bit. But as we go through this portion of Scripture, I want you to pay attention to two things. First is to pay attention to the crowd. Pay attention to the direction of the questions that the crowd is asking. And secondly, I want you to pay attention to the answers of Jesus. How does Jesus respond to their questions? So if you have a Bible, we're going to start in John chapter 6, verses 24. And so as a point of context, this happened just after Jesus had fed the 5,000 people. And they wanted to anoint him as king, but Jesus decided to leave to go across the water. And last week we talked about the whole walking on water scene. And now the crowd is coming after Jesus, trying to find him after they have eaten from the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was no longer there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because, um, because you ate the fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you, uh, what sign do, you do that we may see and believe in you? The works you do, you perform. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Skipping down to verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Skipping down to verse 51. Jesus responds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is for the life of the world. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And down to verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm just going to pause and pray, and then we'll dive into our text this morning. Jesus, we come before you this morning, uh, before your word, and recognize that you uh, have given us a hard teaching. That is not something that's easy to digest. Yet, God, we want to recognize that we want to be open to how you're speaking. We want to be receptive to what you're saying. So give us ears to hear your word this morning. And I just pray that you would, by your spirit, guide me to proclaiming your word this morning. In your name, amen. So as we walk through this passage, again, we're going to look at those questions. How did the crowd respond? In the very beginning, we see the crowd was eagerly seeking Jesus. They said, Rabbi, you know, when did you get here? We've been looking for you. And they're asking, you know, really good questions. How do we do the work of God? And Jesus says, you know, it's about the bread that comes down from God. They just give us this bread. And then Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we start to see a shift because this was a hard response for the crowd. Then we see their next set of questions. They said, how can Jesus say this? Don't we know his father and his mother? How is he from, you know, from heaven? Then we start to see their questions move even further away as they're really trying to wrestle with how is Jesus who he claims to be. So in the beginning, we find that the questions are directed towards Jesus. Then the questions become about Jesus. How could Jesus say this? And their final question is, who can obey a teaching like this? Jesus isn't even involved in that question. So we see the direction of their questions move from Jesus to becoming away from Jesus. But we also must ask, what does Jesus want them to understand? We have a slide that comes up here, and there's a very common word that happens a lot throughout this text. It's this idea of believing in Jesus. If we could have that slide come up. So multiple times, um, maybe back. Yeah, that one. <laughs> multiple times, Jesus says to believe in him, that this is the work of the Father, to believe in Jesus. Then in the final verse, John 6, 47, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. What matters for Jesus is believing in him for eternal life. And maybe you've been around church for a while. Maybe you're exploring Jesus. But this phrase, believe in Jesus for eternal life, is something that comes up time and time again. But what does Jesus really mean by that? Is it simply checking a box that you say you believe certain things? Or is it an invitation to something more? So for Jesus' idea of eternal life is central in this passage. Eternal life comes from the very life of God. It's life everlasting. It's the recognition that Jesus has defeated death on the cross. And that as we trust in him, we actually live, you know, live for eternity with God. And eternal life is not just about duration, which is part of it, but it's actually about the quality of life. It's a new type of life that comes from the very life of God himself. 
this is what we were invited into. But how do we receive it? Well, we receive it through faith. This is the Greek word pistuo, which is a verb. It's an action word. And so there's been a lot of work by different scholars to understand the nature of believing in Jesus. One scholar says that belief is first and foremost neither a body of beliefs, or like faith is neither a body, body of beliefs nor a function of the heart, but a relationship which creates community. Another scholar building off that says, over a period of time, it's a relational way of life, of trust, loyalty, and reliability. Faith involves a mutual relationship with Jesus where we actively trust in him and receive his life as the source of our life. It's relational, it's active, it's trusting ourselves to him. And so what does that look like through our text? We're going to walk through a few different uh, ways that we see Jesus inviting us into trusting in him for eternal life. So first is belief is trusting in the claims of Jesus. Then in verse 33, he says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the one sent from the Father to give life to the world. But the Jews, they struggled with this. They struggled with the claim of Jesus that he was the bread from heaven. Because the response is, isn't he just a man? But you've got to think about it for the, for the Jews. They would have known Jesus. You know, they, they said, we know he was born to Mary, to Joseph. We watched him grow up his whole life. And now all of a sudden he starts this incredible teaching ministry and he's claiming to be from heaven. And it was hard for them to recognize that he was more than just simply a man. But when it comes to the claims of Jesus, we all must wrestle with them. That throughout this series, we've been walking through different I am statements, claims of Jesus. Jesus says in our text, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the truth and life. And also, I am who I am, indicating I am the very God of Israel, taken on human form, broken into our own history to change the trajectory of the story of the world. That if Jesus is who he claims he is, that changes everything. And when we ask people, who is Jesus? You know, if you're asking people on the street, if you're asking coworkers, family members, friends, you'll get a variety of different answers. Some say Jesus is just a good teacher. He gives us, you know, good morals to live by. Some say that he maybe is a miracle worker, a social revolutionist. Or one of my favorite responses when I ask a trade worker, yeah, do you know who Jesus is? And he paused for, for a long while, and then he said, hey, isn't he that carpenter that did a bunch of crazy stuff? And just FYI, he didn't use the word stuff. <laughs> but when it comes to recognizing the claims of Jesus, there's one thing we cannot do. We cannot simply call him a good teacher because he did not leave that as an option for us. C.S. Lewis, who was a longtime atheist and ended up becoming a follower of Jesus, he has this quote. 
he says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not have been a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who said he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You could shut him up for a fool, you can spit a hat at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He does not intend to. When we enter the claims of Jesus, we cannot simply call him a good teacher. Jesus claimed to be God incarnate. And so what Lewis is saying is either he was lying about this, openly deceiving people, or he was mentally deranged, thinking he was something that he was not, or he actually was God who took on flesh. And here's the question is, how do you validate a claim like that? Because maybe you're here and you don't believe in Jesus. You think, how, do, how can anyone prove he is who he says he was? If you want idea to find out if Jesus was who he claims to be, is, is you have to look at the resurrection. Did Jesus really raise from the dead? Because if he did, that validates all his claims. That he claimed to be the resurrection of life. That he actually raised from the dead. That we see the life of the disciples transformed. That they, when he died, they went into hiding. That they were scared. That they thought he was dead. But yet, they claimed to have seen the resurrected Jesus after. And their life completely changed. Where they were willing to die for that fact. They were so convinced that they have seen the resurrected Jesus, that they're willing to give their entire life for that. So we must, to believe in Jesus, is to trust the claims of Jesus. Our desire is to be self-sufficient, but the way of Jesus is to recognize that he is the bread of life, that he is the very person that we find the source for our life. And this leads us to our second point in our journey of faith, is that belief is trusting in the person of Jesus. Verse 26, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is for the life of the world is in my flesh. That here we find Jesus is tapping into this vital story for Israel. That Israel was in slavery in Egypt, and Moses rescues them out of slavery, and they're brought through the Red Sea, and they're in this desert moving towards the promised land. Yet, the disciples, like me, got a little hungry, <laughs> maybe even a little bit hangry, and they started to grumble. And they said, well, I know we're at freedom, but I'm hungry. You know, Moses, can't we just go back to Egypt? I know we were in slavery, but at least they had meat. That they became, you know, very concerned about finding food. And for myself, whenever I'm on a road trip, that becomes a very important part of a road trip. Where are we stopping for food? You know, you plan your whole road trip around finding food because that's vital. Because you also know if people don't have food, the road trip becomes a little bit more difficult. <laughs> so Jesus began with the food. 
You didn't begin with the teaching. You began with feeding them, and after they were fed, they said, all right, we've got to go find this person that fed us. And there was this longing for something that was more. And Jesus said, you know, in the story of Israel, when they were hungry, what happens is that God fed them, that he gave manna from heaven to feed them to meet their need. And Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. I am the very person that meets your need. That Jesus himself is that source. So a way that I had seen this revealed in my own life was quite a few years ago when I was a bit more adventurous. So if you ever get into a certain hobby, my, my point of advice is find people that are far more intense about that hobby. So I was really into this, you know, hiking, backpack, backpacking, camping outside, but I had friends that were way more into it than me. And so they had spent months planning this trip. Somehow I was able to tag on in the last minute. And so this trip was on a little island on the west coast of Vancouver Island called Nootka Island. So the only way that you get to this island is either by plane or by boat. So we packed up everything for this five-day trip, and we get on a float plane. And this float plane flies across the island, then it flies in, lands on the water in this cove area, turns around, we jump out, and then it flies away. And so we had to hike five days through the island to the other side where a boat would eventually pick us up and take us back to the mainland. So it was pretty intense, something I never would have signed up for if I had known how difficult it would have been. <laughs> but as we walked through five days, you cannot bring enough water for five days. And so our whole journey was based on us finding freshwater sources. We had a map, and on that map, it showed us where the freshwater source was. And so we planned each day to land in that freshwater source so we had something to drink and we also had all these backpacking meals which required water to cook. And so it came to day about three or four, and we were hiking to where, we hiked a full day to where this water was supposed to be. And we get to where it was supposed to be, and that stream had dried up. There was no water. And so in that moment, we were faced with a decision. You know, do we go back to the previous camp to find water? Do we stay here and grumble and not have any food to drink? Or do we push on to the next water source, which was probably another four or five hours away? And so we were all very hungry, a little bit hangry, very thirsty. So we decided, let's push on to that next water source. And so as a group, we kind of, we were driven towards finding this water. And when we finally found it, I mean, it was a little discolored, but we didn't care. You know, we just enjoyed it. You put some Gatorade powder in there and it was good. But we just ate and drank and had that moment of, of finding that fulfillment in us. And so we were driven by hunger and thirst, but that hunger and thirst drove us to find the source of life, fresh water. And so we were constantly drawn back to that source to have our needs met. And this is what it's like to follow Jesus. For us, there's this you know, constant need to head back to Jesus as the source of life. As we continue to come back to Jesus, it's him that meets our deepest needs. And here's the temptation that we face, the same temptation of the crowd. And that is to treat faith transactionally and not relationally. See, the crowd was drawn towards Jesus because what he could provide. But what Jesus really provided was himself. 
He says, I want your need to drive towards me because I am the ultimate provider for you. And for many of us, we, myself included, we face the same temptation, that we want to follow Jesus for what we can get from him without actually allowing ourselves to be drawn to the person of Jesus. On a cultural level, this is what Pastor Mark Sayers says, is we want the kingdom without the king, where we want to follow Jesus because hopefully he can answer my prayer, hopefully he can make things better. And we treat Jesus like a vending machine, that if we put in enough time, maybe I can get blessing. And the reality is that these desires in and of themselves are not always bad. But these desires need to always point us back to the person of Jesus. And this is what makes eternal life so desirable. It's not always the length of it, but it's who you spend eternity with. That we are drawn towards the person of Jesus. That he is the source of life. Faith is actively trusting in the person of Jesus. And this leads us to our final section, one of the most difficult parts of this passage, is that belief is trusting in the commands of Jesus. Or also, in another way, belief is trusting in the challenge of Jesus. That in verse 53, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on, his bread, on this bread will live forever. So what on earth is Jesus talking about? What does he mean by eating his flesh and drinking his blood? Is, is he promoting a form of cannibalism? That's how the Jews understood it in the time. That's how the crowd interpreted it. In fact, a lot of the early church got misunderstood as this cannibalistic cult because of language like this where Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. But what we find is that time and time again, Jesus' language that he intends figuratively, people interpret literally. Think of the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. He says, you know, you have to be born again. It's a spiritual reality. Nicodemus' response is, how can I be born again? I already came out of my mother. How can I crawl back in? See, they were missing the point. They were trying to interpret Jesus' answer on one level, but Jesus was driving them to a deeper spiritual reality. And so what does Jesus mean? Well, we find out this answer in verse 56. Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So this consuming of the body and the blood of Jesus, again, it's figurative language, points to a relational and spiritual reality of being in relationship with Jesus, abiding with Jesus. But this is not just something that's passive. It's actively trusting in the commands and challenge of Jesus. That in 1 John 2, 6, John says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That faith is about action. To abide in Jesus is not just a passive box, but it's actively 
obeying the way of Jesus. It's trusting that Jesus knows what's best, even when it's a challenge. But what do we do when we encounter the hard teaching of Jesus? That it's not always easy to follow Jesus. It's not always popular to follow Jesus. That sometimes his cha- the challenge and the commands of Jesus rub up against our culture. They rub up against our internal desires. The teaching of Jesus, you know, the way that he talks about sexuality, the way that he talks about money, the way that he talks about loving people that persecute you, the way that he talks not about self-fulfillment, but actually dying to yourself. These are not popular ideas. But here's the thing. What do we do when we face the challenge of following Jesus? Do we respond like the crowd and allow our questions to be directed away from Jesus? Or do we respond like the disciples respond? I love the end of this story when the crowd is dispersed and the disciples stand there at the very end in John chapter 6, 68 to 69. And Jesus says, you know, are you going to leave me as well? And the disciples say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know you that you are the holy ones of God. And I can tell you right now, the disciples probably still had no idea what Jesus was talking about. <laughs> they had their questions. But here's the difference, is that their questions were no longer pointing them away from Jesus, but they allowed their questions to be pointed towards Jesus. That when the world looks at Christianity, it can say, what does Christianity have to offer? What does the way of Jesus have to offer? The problem is not that the way of Jesus has nothing to offer. The problem is that the way of Jesus is often found hard and left untried. G.K. Chesterton, in his book, what, was, what is Wrong with the World? He says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. What do we do when we face the challenge of following Jesus? Do we respond like the crowd and turn away? Or do we respond like the disciples, bringing our questions, our challenges, and our doubts, and say, I'm going to bring that towards you, because you have the words of eternal life. And so for this morning, I recognize that there may be people in this room who are not a follower of Jesus, that are full of questions, you know, wondering what is the purpose of life, that maybe like the crowd, there's this longing for more, longing for life that matters. And the invitation is open to you today. That you can respond to the call of Jesus to have faith to believe in Jesus for eternal life. That this can be your moment this morning where you can actually cross the line of faith to trust Jesus with your whole life. And so what I want to kind of give you a bit of a framework to walk through that. There's four R's, you know, classic. But first is to recognize It involves recognizing, first, that we've been created to be in relationship with God, but also to recognize our lack, that we've been separated from God because of our brokenness, because of our desire to to look to ourself as our source of life, and to recognize that we can't fulfill the deepest needs of our life on our own. And then it's followed by this idea of repentance, which is literally to change direction, It's to recognize that I cannot do this on my own, and it's to take the posture of the disciples. Not that you have to have all your questions in place, but it's actually changing direction towards Jesus. 
And thirdly is to receive. That the good news of Jesus is that while you were sinners, Christ died for you. There's nothing that you can do to separate you from that love. That regardless of your background, regardless of what you've done, when you repent and turn towards Jesus, that you actually receive this as a gift from God. And finally, there's this element of responding. That a relationship involves love, and love is active. And so it's a response of your entire life to follow the way of Jesus. That we respond to that call that we receive by grace through faith. And that this could be your moment to become a follower of Jesus. And so if you desire to, to pray that prayer, to, to make that decision, we want to celebrate that with you. So you can fill it out on a Connect card to meet with us as a pastoral staff. And we want to be able to celebrate that with you today. to making that most important step of your life. But we also want to invite you in a way that all of us can respond together. And so this morning, we're going to respond to the teaching of Jesus by receiving communion together. And if you've noticed, communion, uh, we, take, uh, we receive it you know, usually once a month. And so this is out of our nor normal rhythms. But we're doing this because we need to constantly be reminded of coming back to Jesus. Why does the church... Uh, why does the church participate in communion regularly? It's because we need to regularly be reminded of our need for Jesus as the bread of life. That like the crowd, like Israel, we are often distracted by many things throughout our lives that pull us away from Jesus, and we need to continually to be reminded to come back to Jesus. And so we've talked about this spiritual reality of abiding in Jesus, this spiritual reality of, of repenting and believing and trusting in Jesus. But this spiritual reality has a physical embodied practice. And so this morning, what we're going to do in a few moments is we're all going to stand up for those that are going to receive communion, and we're going to walk to the table. And when you walk to the table, you receive the elements. But I want us to think about the idea of us actually getting up and walking to the table. That it's us a physical sign of us actually getting up, recognizing our doubts, our questions, our challenge, but making the choice to walk towards the table, making the choice to walk towards Jesus, recognizing that Jesus has the bread of life. And when we come to the table, there's one thing that we don't do. We don't take the elements. Rather, we actually receive the elements. Because Communion is not something we take, but rather is a gift that has been given to us. That we recognize that the good news of the gospel is that we receive the grace that comes from Jesus. That is, this is the good news that we receive this morning. And when we're going to do it this morning, we're actually going to do it a little bit different than how we normally do it. We're actually going to receive all together, all at once. So when you take, when you don't take, when you receive the elements, I want you to hold on to them. And I want you to, to reflect in this moment. As you hold on to the elements, as you think about the body and the blood of Jesus, I want you to bring your questions, to bring the things that you're struggling with. Maybe you have doubt. Maybe you have unanswered prayers. Maybe you just are struggling, and how do I follow Jesus? 
And I want you to reflect on those questions, but I also want you to bring those questions to Jesus, to take the posture of the disciples and to say, and to bring those questions, direct them towards Jesus himself. Jesus, I'm struggling with this. How do you want to speak to my situation? Jesus, I have doubt. How do, I, how do I want to receive faith from you? Jesus, here's my lack. How do I want to receive your life? Allow this moment to, to be drawn towards receiving from Jesus. So I'm going to pray, um, and then we're, I'm going to invite you to, to stand and come and receive, to hold on to these elements, and we'll receive them together. Jesus, we come before you and recognize that this teaching is challenging and difficult. That we have this longing to be self-sufficient, yet we recognize our need to be dependent upon you. And so, God, I recognize that we look out at this room that there's probably many questions, doubts, challenges, and we as a body of Christ this morning, we want to lay them at your feet. We may not have all the answers, but we know where to find them. So, Jesus, we want to recognize as a church this morning that you are the bread of life, that you contain the words of eternal life, and we want to point ourselves towards you. We love you. We thank you. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.